This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some stuff this week. I watched a movie this week. You didn't think we'd do it, but here we are. Clifford, the big red dog, is upon us. Looking into it, we were a bit, you know, on on the face value of it, it it, it almost gets suspicious because it's so cut and dry to a point that it feels like nobody's given any of this a second look. We've never looked at the people responsible. We started to look at Scholastic, (laughs) Clifford, and the author of Clifford and how all of it, we feel like we have just passed it by without understanding. I said very early before we even looked into it, it it's like Clifford the Big Red Dog is one of the things in childhood you leave behind before you ever understand it. And so today we're giving the mutt its due. (laughs) (laughs) And all of the process behind it. Yeah, because when I was looking into it, Clifford then just gets cast aside as like he is and was and always will be. And and then that's all over... And he's, he's, he's ubiquitous all over like our public school life. I mm-hmm. mean, he, Clifford the Big Red Dog is bursting out of places where he doesn't belong. Uh, scholastic book fairs. I mean, we've never given <laughs> right. any of this a second thought. Like, is there a Ray Kroc of scholastic book fairs? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Hawking his childhood wares and re- you want to <laughs> read this, kids, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basic stats on the face of it came about in 1963 until the author passed away. His very last year was in 2014, and the last book was the the year after. 80 books in total. Wow. The the thing we'll start with is Scholastic, the company, because they are the figurehead of a lot of what happens with these children's properties that we don't think anything of. So Clifford is actually their official mascot, and they are the world's largest print publisher of children's educational materials. I believe it. (laughs) that red bar on the book cover and you know oh this is a book for me if i'm seven clifford's often accompanying accompanying it just i mean literally bursting out of ads like on your Mm -hmm. like school agenda the thing that like the county (laughs) would issue you (laughs) yeah yeah so scholastic started 101 years ago 1920 maurice robinson is who's responsible very small start School magazine. So this was just in Mm. Pennsylvania. It was a little four page Mm. magazine kind of profiling Mm. high school sports and social activities in the area and eventually went out to 50 high schools. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Over time, it grew to a national school magazine covering, you know, news, current events, that kind of thing. And this is we're going to branch out into different facets of the scholastic empire, but they still publish this thing. A lot of it's digital now, but there's over 30 magazine Mm. titles in the scholastic magazine circulation. Does this like coincide with the, like the, the rise of like the girl scouts America, you know, club or like these types of like worldwide organizations focused for young adults. I'm just trying to think about as, as these types of things became, more yeah. uh, more popular through public schools after the 60s. Well, so this is the 20s. So Maurice was coming back or, after sorry, World or, War. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mar- Maurice was coming back after World War 1 and was noticing a market in, you know, people going to high school and so definitely I don't I don't have the numbers on when, mm-hmm. you know, the scouts and all of that, but they're definitely he was sensing an uptick in this is a market, this is a demographic, people yeah. are here, what can we do with this? So Moving on into the later half of the 20s, 
there is a award program that he starts called the Scholastic Art and Writing Award, where it's a program for young writers. So you could submit writing and maybe it would be in the magazine wow. or it would you could get money and prizes or prestige for this. And I didn't realize a lot of uh, famous names. So Truman Capote, Sylvia Plath, Stephen King, Andy no Warhol, they were all oh recipients. God in some form or another of one of these scholastic wow. writing awards. And they still continue that to this day. That's a whole other facet is scholarships and grants and things for young writers. I pull out a drawer. I've got one. Oh my God. <laughs> Taylor, but, you check yeah, your desk. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would have applied if I had known that they were doing it still. Right. <laughs> um, onwards into the forties is when they start doing book clubs. Now this is not a like reading and you sit down in a circle and you talk about it. This is yeah, book yeah, sales. Yeah. So this is a subscription-based model of receiving books. You'd rip out a form in the back of the magazine and the teacher mm -hmm. could order it for you. Because if you were a kid in the 40s, you wouldn't know what Absolutely. book to get or or you couldn't own physically probably Just a lot think of that. about not having a cell phone now. That was just like 20 years ago. Can you imagine being a <laughs> child in the in the 30s, like trying to order something by mail yeah. and, and again your it's parents can't help you <laughs> yeah it's also kind of genius that starting out with the magazine they were already in the schools and then oh here's a form in the back now it's circulating nationally oh we can sell books through this this is sick they move on into the 60s and this is the educational division and this is educational materials learning support instructional materials Still, though, with all of that, not quite profitable. They haven't found their mark. But all, I mean, a lot that, that they're doing in the book, mm -hmm. youth education space. Let's take a huge flip over to Clifford uh, and, yeah. and get to where he meets them in the mix in the 60s. Mm -hmm. It starts with a guy, Norman Bridwell, growing up, not good at sports, not good at the trades, in high school, his shop teacher took his tools and said, here's a pad of paper you seem to like to draw. Stick to that. He wow. is unremarkable in the typical boyhood of the 1930s hey, <laughs> endeavors. You got to listen to the people who say, uh-uh, you don't want that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to order spaghetti in a Jewish deli once, and the, uh, the waitress lit, just said no, <laughs> and then pointed out something better on the menu, and she was right, and I right. appreciated it. So That's sometimes funny. you just, sometimes people know. And it's not even the encouragement, it's the discouragement that propels you to success. The, I mean, the sheer truth of it you know mm -hmm. <laughs> just yeah. the honesty but anyway well even with that so then the next piece he liked to draw but he even said he was never considered good like he did the art classes in school and he said he was never the best the teachers always liked someone else's work and they said he said the teachers didn't like my writing either mm. so <laughs> he's just average on both fronts but mm. likes to draw so he goes and studies at the Art Institute in Indianapolis, moves to New York, took classes there, and becomes a commercial artist, postcards mm -hmm. and advertisements and that kind of stuff. Gotcha, this gotcha. is his attempt at doing the creative side of things. He, he marries this woman, Norma. So yes, he's Norman and his wife is Norma together. How wholesome <laughs> is that? <laughs> and he has- step on the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> Confusing. <laughs> He has a daughter, Emily, and he's looking to supplement income 
as the family is growing with book illustration, any extra work that he can do. Mm -hmm. So in 1962, he puts together a portfolio of colorful drawings, going to children's book publishers in New York, trying to see if they're interested in anything. He -hmm. tries 15 different publishers and no assignments. Mm -hmm. One of the publishers at Harper said, and this is the big kind of turnaround for him. They said, his, your art alone isn't good enough. Like no, Nobody of the publishers wanted to pair his artwork with any of the established authors that they had. Mm-hmm. And so she had said, go write a story to go along with one of your pictures. And she okay. pulls out one of his sketches and says, there might be a story in this one. So I want to direct our listeners to, I found a link with the photo that she pulled out of his portfolio and said, maybe there's a story to this one. And it is the first incarnation of Clifford, the big red dog. I showed it to Evan ahead of time. So he knows kind of what it looks like. I'm staring into it right now. (laughs) And it's a little girl, very different art style, but there's, it's clearly a bloodhound. It's kind of the size of a horse, maybe a little bit smaller. Well, that's the thing. I want to highlight that is my Mm -hmm. first impression of, of it with the proportions, the art style of it. I, I understand how you could see something like this in real life, not the color, not the red, which is very obvious, but in terms of like a dog being so large that it felt like it could shield you from the rain. What you're seeing is Mm -hmm. a little girl being shielded from the rain underneath the snout of a large, droopy, (laughs) red, like hunting hound. Yeah, yeah. So it very quickly, like the very first images I connected to, and it made me think about proportion and how very quickly with how you're interpreting this, how proportion could get out of hand real, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I think has become kind of the name of the game with the property, because uh, I, I bet this image started in a completely different place is, is what I'm getting mm-hmm. at. And so, then yeah. it has gone in a very, very different direction <laughs> that now has had a lot of people to you know add yeah. what they will to it. For sure. So here's the creation of that legend and the expansion of it. And I, again, I encourage our listeners to check out the link in the show notes to this original photo. A lot of the questions we have and the suspicion we have is around, oh, well, it couldn't be that easy. And a lot of the story is just kind of the simplicity and the earnestness of what he's doing. The reason he's mm-hmm. red in that initial image, he just said he happened to have red paint on his desk that day. There's not that's some what sort I'm of saying. Yeah. calculated <laughs> reason. And then once it's he not, got- And that's why I like, if you look at it backwards or even before, if you <laughs> like take out Clifford, the character, you go, he's red because he's abnormally large. Like, you know, like you start reading <laughs> yeah. into it immediately. Or red is the, the color of love. Or- interpret it. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I'm like, this is exactly what I was looking at it from. I was like, if you know, the color doesn't matter. What am I seeing? I'm like, uh, this image, <laughs> I could see, I can understand a child being shielded from the, you know, like that. Yeah, kind. and it grows. It. I, I just wanted to point out, in particular, with the color, that mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> this is literally <laughs> what's laying around on his desk. <laughs> right, and so then with the encouragement of this publisher, he says, "Okay, I'll make the dog even bigger." And I'm going to purposely make the location vague for this story. It's kind of anywhere USA. It's the fact that he's big is what's exciting. Not that he's, and this is, you know, the movie they said in go. New York and the. Yeah, I was going to say, is yeah. it's like, well, that's all of the like on basic levels what the movie decided not to do. It's like, look. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. le- leave. Yeah, just the. <laughs> if you had a large dog, what would that, what kind of questions would it make you ask yourself? What would it lead to? You know, let's just be real here. (laughs) 
right. and that's interesting enough. It doesn't need to be in New York City. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what his thought was. And then with the names, he was going simple. He wanted the dog to be named Tiny, but his wife, Norma, wow. said, you should name it Clifford. That was the name of my childhood imaginary friend. So he takes Aww. her advice. And then the little girl, his daughter, who was just born, is named Emily. So he names her Emily. With it's the, all what's laying around. It's yeah. all right here. You know, <laughs> somebody with, shoved in a drawing back at him and said, "You need to write something for this." Mm-hmm. And he just is like, "Okay, uh, what could it be?" You know, <laughs> right? And that was kind of the key: is like your drawings are not good enough, your writing is not good enough, but we'll put them together, and something will be maybe fine. So he it's had not. St- and this is something for me, and just for creatives, it's not like the other idea is some other thing. So, no, bring it into this idea. Bring it mm-hmm. over. It it, it it needs all these things. A full story is comprised of many elements. Mm-hmm. Um, your ideas belong together, not separate. You know. Yeah, yeah. So he, by circumstance and encouragement, an unremarkable, by all accounts, guy puts it in <laughs> to this package. He had spoken to the Harper's publisher on a Friday, and then three days later on Monday, he had his little book about a girl and her big dog. And so mm-hmm. goes back around the rounds to the publishers, drops it off at Scholastic. Three weeks go by. He's like, whatever. But they call him up and say, yeah, we'll publish this. It's always right after you were sure you were a failure. (laughs) Yeah. I guess they didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) And that first book was published in 63 and then out comes 80 books. He had a couple other children's books, but he essentially is the Clifford guy for the rest of his life until he passes in 2014. Hey, and. I got one, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love it. I love it. This and this is such a like I mean, I I love this story as a creative. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one image plus this. They okay. Uh, just, I mean, really, just mashing yeah. stuff together until you hit. Uh this is a, a, a perfect example of that. And nothing salacious or untoward or conniving about no, it's just it. Earnest <laughs> trying, you know. <laughs> yeah. So onward we go to the rest of Scholastic's story because it does then beg the question. It's like, well, but a big red dog and a girl, like what's so – I still don't get it, you might say. Mm-hmm. that that Going way, way back to another episode that we did on Dr. Seuss eons ago, but I'll put a link to it if you want to catch up on that. The old world. Yeah. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit before he's coming out with Clifford, the Dick and Jane primers are being questioned by child psychology and the – publishing establishment the repeated Mm. phrasing see spot run he runs fast all of that stuff yes dr seuss comes out with cat in the hat in 57 just a few years before what he's doing with clifford is following that train and is needed by this publisher scholastic clifford has him in real life situations that children might understand going to school going to the doctor and then also mm-hmm. he's learning manners and he's bumbling around and he's learning how to grow up and there's a moral to it and it, it fits right. with the new interpretation of no, 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 they, they don't just need to read. They need an actual story about things that are going on with them. Well, it's kind of infinite. You know, it's mm-hmm. like as if you were sitting down to write this kind of thing, you would and one of the you would ask yourself many questions. But one question among the, the first many you would ask yourself is like, well, what's it like having a puppy? Because yeah. for anybody who's had a dog who's trained a puppy, you you understand maybe for the first time that an authority role and how to mm-hmm. teach and train something and guide something. Yeah, um, this is often children's first example in a, in an authority capacity is over some sort of animal. Um, yeah, definitely. So I just wanted to pull that apart for a second in terms of like how 
what these stories really could be about and how they really could go down a kind of infant. And that's why I'm so shocked that mm-hmm. they didn't do more because I'm like, this is really like this is real <laughs> basic stuff, you know? But yeah, it seems like an inf- infinite, endless thing that you know, an evergreen well. Um, it's interesting that you bring up kind of that authority growing up that that sort of mindset because this is also then with Scholastic Maurice who had started the whole thing he was preparing to exit as the CEO and they were grooming this other guy who was on the board mm-hmm. and that other guy died randomly sort of Whoa. and so it got passed on to Maurice's son Richard and he takes over in the 70s as the head of Scholastic wow. And in the seventies is when by they start. accident, like wait, yeah, whoa, yeah. okay. Well, I mean, I it, I get it <laughs> in that in mm-hmm. that in that case. That's very interesting. I haven't heard that in a, in a, you know and I don't know. The, we've been thinking about nepotism a lot, I guess, in, in, <laughs> you know, recent as of late in this country in the society. So that's just yeah. a, that's an interesting way for things to fall. And he, he he was an English teacher. He had joined the company in the 60s, so it wasn't like he was totally out of nowhere pulled from it, but it mm-hmm. wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. What exactly he was destined to do. But he starts the entertainment division, which is still ongoing. They do shows and movies based on their book properties or license them. Yeah. That's another arm of theirs. In the 80s is, lo and behold, here comes the, the, <laughs> the book fair business as a part of their empire. Starts in the 80s, and that's all his dealings. Now, over 120,000 events across the USA. This is what we knew <laughs> in our upbringing yes. is they show Everybody's up, they take over the library week. for a week. Yeah. <laughs> and they got to look all. at the ad. You're going to circle what you want. Mm-hmm. Don't want that. Exit out. Draw on yeah. people's faces. Now you got to go home. You know how much money you need. You ask for a little <laughs> bit more. You make some buy rash some, decisions. Buy a cool eraser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you end stuff. up like really not paying attention to any of that list, especially the stuff that you put on there just to look good for mo- you know mom and dad, whatever. And then you get yeah. erasers like you said. <laughs> <laughs> I, I everybody's I had favorite to, week. I loved it. Yeah, I had to look into now being an adult. I'm like, is this some shrewd snake oil business only kind yeah. of thing? But again, or like they those have that pamphlets where you're supposed to like sell like prepaid yeah, <laughs> chocolate or whatever, or some sort of lamp, you know, like go door to door and like. Right. You know, there was like a there was one for like charity for cans and stuff. That's that felt like a real one. Yeah. But then there was weird like we had to sell cookie dough, cookie dough or something for I don't know. I can't, yeah. I can't remember. I, we were too young is an odd, odd age to be <laughs> to like sending it. kids around to like hawk goods. and <laughs> <laughs> Right. Or be like, mom, can you buy me this? It's like well, putting th- it under the presumption of this education. Right. This is not asking the children to do the footwork. This is bringing (laughs) like a store to the child's place of education, (laughs) which is a bit different because it's books. Yeah. But even with that, it's like, are they just money hungry misers? Yeah. So this is a, I've, I've been asking myself this as of late, you start looking at these things in different lights. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I looked into it and the business adult side of things, the schools do receive a portion of sales from their hosting. Thank so God. I found the the latest one I could find, 2006, $95 million went to the schools oh that gosh. they hosted. And then they also match contributions for underserved areas to give more books. So there is a humanitarian charitable process to the whole thing. That's Obviously, awesome. they make money, but 
Yeah, I mean, I mean it doesn't a... run for nothing, I get, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, they don't sweep like, the it, school of yeah, resources and then. I would like them. to hear some updated figures, but, yeah, yeah. I, you know, th- but that figure in, a, in and of itself up until 2006, that's, that's, that's a, that's a number. Per year, I mean, that's I, annual, I want, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 that's really great in terms of the, the program that they're running because it's something that most people do enjoy mm-hmm. in, in terms of like. I think I think teachers kind of enjoy it as well. Um, but <laughs> the I librarians obviously certainly do. Yeah, I think it's a win-win for everybody. So uh, I'm 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 glad that it hasn't you know gone south. It hasn't disappeared or something. That it's still around. Yeah. So now that we've covered most of the empire pieces that they're conquering, the last thing is the intellectual property stuff. They still had Clifford going strong, but in the '80s. They're publishing the Babysitters Club, and hmm. they also have Magic School Bus on yes. the scene. And then again, they're making the TV shows of those in <laughs> the films and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the yeah. '90s come around, and they're they own I Spy and Goosebumps. Oh, wow. We did an episode on. Yes, I was they about to say have yes. Goosebumps. Animorphs, Captain Underpants was also huge. They run that. The game. '90s was their time. I mean, Scholastic <laughs> ruled. Yeah, ruled. Uh, young fiction through the through the nineties. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely ruled it. And the capstone at the very very end. We covered this in another episode, but they own the U.S. rights to Harry Potter, which was a what? gamble, and then they destroyed. It. So they, yeah, they publish like a third of all children's books anywhere. <laughs> they crush it, and this is the unbelievable piece. In the two thousands, they're the ones that do the Hunger Games. Oh my God. <laughs> They're crushing. They're crushing. Yeah. So with all of that amazement, you know, credited to Richard Robinson, the son of Maurice, who takes it over, the newest movie that came out, 2021, is dedicated to Richard Robinson because he passed in June of this year. Very Mm. shocking. He was in excellent health. He was walking around Mm. and had a heart attack or stroke. It wasn't... uh, wasn't oh, no. said, but he, yeah, he was the CEO from 75, like I said, in, when he took it over till June when he passed. Wow. And if you think about all the stuff he was doing, he was also pretty progressive in terms of being scandalized, I guess, in a good way of like, he won an honorary national book award because of like all the books that were, he published that censors didn't want or had cultural or societal wow. positions in children's literature. The Pen America is an organization that awarded him an award for contributions to free expression because of, you know what, if you think about all the different things that got put in, I know some people, even like Captain Underpants, they were like, I don't get it. (laughs) You know, this is weird (laughs) or Harry Potter, Hunger Games, all the different stuff, you know, five decades of (laughs) four decades of children's literature. He's at the helm of, you know, you know, just over the formative years of, you know, everyone's lives (laughs) right now, just a little contribution to their, you know, no, no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. And to think of this company, a father and son running it. Yeah. We think of Scholastic and I would never have thought to say, oh yeah, it was a guy and his son up until just a couple months ago <laughs> that we're yeah, the, really. that we're running it. Again, we've it's been around for so long that I guess even our parents don't even wouldn't even think to quite, you know, it's past the the, the skepticism of like, eh, is this just somebody hawking <laughs> where <Wears, laughs> yeah. you know like it's no the our, our parents already ha- had scholastic around, it's known, it's the brand recognition is is and so over time it's just becomes 
a, mm-hmm. the standard, but it, it's we have to teach, you know, we have to teach <laughs> people about this stuff because it's not it didn't come from nowhere. It came from people. Yeah, this is real examples of real creatives, real stories. And it's not just some sort of element on the periodic table that is and is and will forever be. It's no, somebody made it. Uh, yeah. And that's what we're here to do. And it's also <laughs> is, a, a rare thing that we're talking about where it's like, it's kind of the reason people don't think about it is because on both fronts, it's kind of unglamorous. Norman just chucking along, writing these things. And Maurice and Richard chucking along, just running, <laughs> expanding. Literacy but the impact attempts. is huge, yeah. man. I mean, uh, for for children, I mean, you know, uh, uh, every generation. I mean, because mm-hmm. if you were in high school in the twenties, you would have read one of their magazines, and then that's the start. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that. That that's just the start, and it still exists today. I mean, and we've got now. We got all the now. We're spending millions of dollars to bring in this red <laughs> red, dog red dog life. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So let's just briefly throw out what what Clifford has put into the world. The fun one, his presence as a balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yes. Started in 1990. I love this fact. He is the only life-size balloon in parade history. He is the size <laughs> that he would be. That's good. That's that's really that's really funny. Actually. Yeah. And he's been on and off. There was a book that came out in 93 written by Norman, called Clifford's Thanksgiving Visit, because he goes to visit his Aww. mom in the city, and Emily is visiting her grandparents, and the his balloon is visible in the in one of the frames. He doesn't oh, acknowledge it, but it's he just funny. He doesn't see that the, it. That's great. Yeah, oh. that the parade is going on. <laughs> and then, of course, the adaptations. The early 2000s one, there was an Amazon Prime reboot just a couple years ago, I but he even, speaks, he, he vocalizes to Emily like she can talk to him which is oh, not wow. a part of the books or anything else. So I think wow. it was met with with mixed reception. But then this film They're taking it too far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this this film has been you know trying to be made since 2012, this live action animation and Right. We talk sometimes about the creative process, production process. Nothing to write home about here except for in the physical tangible like Clifford the Big Red Dog on screen. They used two puppeteers and created kind of this bizarre hybrid puppet thing that was on set all the time for the child actors to react to. What they're doing is instead of like building a beautiful, detailed, like, you know, animatronic. Right. What they're doing is putting a representation out in the actual set so that they can get a lighting reference for visual effects. So that's an eye line color. Yeah, exactly. Eye line so that everybody's looking where they need to be looking and so that they can see what this color, whatever it is, whatever this shape is, what it would look like under these lighting conditions. So what Mm -hmm. you have is kind of like this, like very rudimentary, like trash bag looking (laughs) like guy, like like, like guys puppeteering it and walking it. There's great video footage of it yeah well i'll post a link on there was a tiktok this uh creator at its keys i'll post a link but he makes a whole little mini song about how horrifying it looks he's like not quite bone (laughs) not quite flesh it's human (laughs) legs because the people are standing there and they need airflow but then there's this weird perforated those dragons you see in um fairs like right uh, yeah it's this weird i can't remember the name for any of it i'm doing a plastic mesh bone you know, openings and it looks scary and the children are traumatized by having to act (laughs) with this skeletal, sad, earless dog thing. 
anyway, that was that was the only uh, <laughs> production thing about it that I thought was worth bringing up. It's super, it's super funny, and, and especially for anybody who's like not super like into you know how movies are made, it looks horrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So off of the horrifying part, the appeal of Clifford over time, and I came upon a very interesting piece that there's scientific child psychology and developmental reasons that potentially contribute to this. Hmm? One of which Hmm. is color, specifically the red that we had said meant nothing. There is a very primal response that humans, particularly babies and young kids have to the color red. I'll post a link to this article where they kind of do like a 3D, not, not VR, but it's like you can move around and look around, but it's like as if you were a baby in your first six months and what your visual acuity is over time because red is one of the first colors that babies see along with black and white so perhaps there is some scientific basis to like a big red dog connecting in adolescence and infancy the other thing then is the language development kids first practice animal sounds before they even have words or before they can attribute a a dog as a thing you know they're saying woof woof so there is a, a, a connection there And then kind of the clumsiness stuff, like kids are developing motor control and Emily is always forgiving him for making mistakes and he's big and oafish and (laughs) bumping into stuff. And like you were talking about at the the top, it's like, why do we forget about him? It's because we've forgotten about visual acuity and language development and stumbling around <laughs> hopefully we right. don't do you any just of that mature stuff. out of it you know mm-hmm. you just you you know that does, it's not for you anymore yeah you know, so all like of the trying to read a language you forgot <laughs> <laughs> but all those reasons are interesting as far as the scientific mental unintentional reasons behind it the last real reason maybe that ties into the author it's like what Clifford does well, the best thing that sci-fi and fantasy writers do is you just do one fantastic thing. So like right. if it's a sci-fi story about an invention that stops world hunger, you don't also then have aliens attack. Right. You do, you know, Clifford is the one thing. He doesn't travel through time, he doesn't talk, he doesn't walk upright. He just visits the beach and glumps around <laughs> and does dog things. And he's just a big red dog. So like that right. simplicity that we're like, well, what is it about it? And it's like, well, that's that's it. It's focused, you know. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. Well, and it and it's so interesting because if we'll talk about the movie for, you know, we'll talk about maybe the movie. I think is fine for its audience. Yeah, yeah. Looking at it from our point of view, I've seen the movie, and somehow they take what was born out of simplicity, they overcomplicate it with a with a kid <laughs> versus. A corporation in New York City, you know, setting and plot, and it just no, it doesn't really need any of that stuff. I, right. th- I thought that from the offset is kind of missing it. It yeah. would have felt way more at home in a small town setting, and and it's it's of two folds because I do think the audience is probably going to embrace the movie. It's probably just great for no, them. yeah, you know, like yeah. it's for kids, you know, like it's <laughs> like we were just saying, it's like trying to read a read a language we forgot. It's not for us. We've matured. It doesn't make it bad. Yeah. It's just not for us. When we look at it from our perspective, we have maybe different different ways we would have went about it. But I mean, it still serves the role. But yeah. I just think that the on on the surface level, when you have the creator saying, well, it kind of works because of this. And then all the kind of the research says, well, it kind of works because of this, that, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that <laughs> all takes a second seat to child versus corporation in New York. City. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's that's interesting. He'll just get bigger. I think that's what people were saying. He's oh, not in his like full form <laughs> in this one. He's still a puppy, He'll and she still has more love to make him grow. Yeah, get bigger. He'll get bigger. <laughs> that's him over history. He just keeps getting bigger. He can't go away. He's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Did we do it, Taylor? I think we got it all. <laughs> we gave the mud his due. I loved this. This, you know, this start is like, well, maybe this will be some. And it immediately it was it showed itself to be something way more rich and, mm-hmm. and it was almost a no brainer. Like, of course, we should have had this on the schedule for months. Uh, so I'm, I love what we found out about Scholastic and book fairs and how it takes the two of these kind of things to unite to make something really everlasting. Yeah. So thank you, Taylor. I really appreciate it. Thank oh, yeah. you guys for sticking with us. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're excited for coming out on TV or in the theaters. You never know when we're going to do an episode on something you're so excited to learn all about. You can get in touch with us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. And if you're in the U.S. at least, look out on Thanksgiving coming up very soon. See if he's in the parade this year. <laughs> look for Clifford in the parade. <laughs> if he's going to come back. We'll see. And now we'll all have a bigger appreciation for him. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> all right. Catch you next week.